Welcome to The Seller's Corner, an e-commerce podcast with real stories from real sellers. Each episode, we sit down with online sellers all across the globe and talk about overcoming challenges, scaling, and putting processes around their online businesses. Welcome to the show. Hey, this is Joanna, and I run marketing at Accelerlist. Today, we are talking to Caleb Ashton about his journey into the world of reselling video games and how you can get started too. How did you actually get started with selling? I think I started back in September of 2018. My wife had just entered law school and I was working a a regular nine to five job with some friends and was just looking for like a side hustle to put some time into and, you know, earn a little bit of extra money on the side and sort of stumbled into the YouTube like resale community and actually started out flipping books onto Amazon from like thrift stores and book sales and stuff like that. So I started more on the Amazon side. Then at that point, it was kind of later fall. Once it warmed up again, I started going to yard sales and amping up the eBay site a little bit more. And yeah, it sort of just evolved from there, I guess. Because you said you started with selling books. Do you Mm -hmm. mainly sell video games now or do you still sell books? Yeah, I would say I'm probably maybe 90% video games. And then 10% miscellaneous. I sometimes will still do books. My wife is still in law school and sometimes I'll buy her friends old textbooks and things like that. Or if I know someone who's getting rid of a bunch, but I'm focused primarily on video games at this point. Are you like a video game geek? Or I ask because I'm one, so it's totally fine if you are too. (laughs) Just curious. (laughs) I would say probably less so than most video game sellers. I definitely played my fair share as a kid. Right now, I'm working on a Switch collection, but I'm not like a hardcore collector or gamer or anything. I don't get to play quite as much as I'd like. Talk us a little bit through like a typical workday because you do this full time at the moment, right? I sure do. Yeah. Day to day, it varies a good bit because like some days I might be focusing more on sourcing. Some days might be heavier on the listing. But I would say on an average day, I'll start the day off normally by packing up and shipping out any eBay orders that have sold. On the Amazon side, almost all of my inventory is fulfilled by Amazon. So luckily, I don't really have to worry about those orders. Then later on in the day, maybe I would go out and hit up a few pawn shops in town to buy some video games or systems that I find that maybe are underpriced. That's a way that I get a decent amount of my inventory. I might spend some time looking online for video game sales, like on GameStop.com or other websites to find underpriced games on like a clearance sale or things like that. I would say, especially this last year, I've gotten a lot more into the online arbitrage aspect of that. And then on, you know, maybe I'll finish out the day by filming or editing a video because the YouTube side of the business is something that I've really developed this last year as well. What's like the part that you enjoy the most? Is it finding the games or do you prefer doing like the YouTube stuff and kind of inspiring others to get into it? Yeah, that's a hard question. I don't know if anything really compares. There's like a really deep satisfaction when like you get a nice comment on a video or like DM from someone who's been like genuinely helped by something that you've created. So I'd probably ultimately have to say that, although the thing that really like got me hooked into the resale community was like the thrill of the hunt, the thrill of the find, like going to a yard sale and having somebody like dig out an N64 collection from some dusty closet and 
being able to make a good amount of money on something that, you know, was previously basically junk to someone else. That element of it is really addicting as well. Yeah, I hear that a lot, actually. Like the thrill of the hunt is is like the key factor in all this. <laughs> Everyone yeah, really think, enjoys that. <laughs> I think it's a really common trend, especially for resellers. I think because if you don't enjoy that, I think most people won't gravitate towards resale because most people don't like get much of a high from like listing 20 items on eBay, you know? So you mentioned your wife's in law school. So do you do this all on your own or does she like step in a little bit when she, she has some time? In as little as she possibly can. <laughs> she, <laughs> she doesn't have the same resale bug that I do, which I think is a good thing. We kind of complement each other in that way. I think much more of a generalist. So resale is a really good path for me, I think, because there's so much stuff that you can potentially learn about. Like not only are there multiple facets of the business, like you have to learn sourcing and like listing stuff really well and scaling and like business efficiencies and things like that. Uh, but there are also tons of niches that like you're having less success in one. Like after I did books for a while, I started to realize that the niche was becoming a little bit more competitive and also that some of my sources were kind of drying up. And so that's when I shifted gears a little bit and started experimenting sor sourcing more at pawn shop and sort of how I started to get into the video game niche. But yeah, sort of the, the generalistic nature of resale and just the fact that there's so much to learn and so many ways to expand really draws me to it. And meanwhile, my wife is the kind of person who like will set her mind to something and will be like the best in the world at that one thing. So we're kind of, uh, I guess, opposites attract for us in that way. I know we're all trying to leave 2020 behind us, but how mm -hmm. did the pandemic affect your business if it yeah, that's a good question. I think actually from what I've heard from other members of the community, because of the increase in online shopping and the demand for new and used goods online, a lot of resellers had really good business years, at least in 2020. I certainly was no exception to that. Normally, April, May, June are pretty slow months. But because that was sort of when the peak of lockdown was happening, people were looking a lot more for activities they could do indoors. It was a really good time to be a video game reseller. <laughs> and I basically, I mean, for resellers of all sorts, normally Q4 is like the big, like hot time of year where everything is selling and you're getting a bunch of new sales. But like this year, late spring, early summer was almost like a second Q4 because there was such a surge in the demand for the kind of goods that I sell. So a good year to at least be in this line of work for me. Yeah, because I know people like some of my friends that were never gamers, never picked up a console in their lives, were out there picking up Nintendo Switches and just finding video games to play. So I, right. I yeah. imagine... I, we're a lot more limited. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even I ended up buying quite a few video games because I just couldn't help myself. You're right. sitting, <laughs> sitting at home, couldn't go anywhere. What else am I going to do? But Play right. video games. Like me, we're like, ching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, thank you. Thanks very much, Joanna. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. What are some of the things you wish you had known before starting selling online? I would say one trap that I fell into, especially early on, is the trap of comparison. I think that one of the biggest assets for beginning and veteran resellers alike is the social media presence of other resellers hopping onto Instagram or YouTube and getting inspired from other resellers in the same or different niches and getting tips and like items to be on the lookout for is just invaluable. I mean, the amount that you're able to learn online is incredible. 
But sort of the flip side, the more insidious side to that is a trap that at least was really easy for me to fall into is comparing like my young, like just starting out infant business to some of these people who have been at it for years and thinking, man, I'm like not putting up nearly those numbers or like I'm not selling through nearly that number of goods. And like, of course I shouldn't be. So I think early on, the less you can sort of have your head on a swivel of like, okay, what, how much like sales or how much business are the person to the right and left of me doing? And the more you can just focus on where you are and where you're headed and where that is proportionate to where you were yesterday, I think the more you're able to have that perspective, the healthier your business and your mindset is going to be. Yeah, I think that's important just these days to to focus on what you're doing, no matter the business you're in, because it's easy to see someone's Instagram life or feed and just kind of think or get kind of jealous or envious of what you see because you see like big sales or big house and expensive cars and you start thinking, well, how do I get there? Like, (laughs) yeah. And yeah, I think it's important to focus on what you need to get done to get to where you personally want to go. Like, don't get sucked into that Instagram void, (laughs) as I like to call it. Yeah. And there are a lot of people, a lot of creators out there that don't focus a whole lot on like the flashy, like sexy side, like, ooh, here are all these glamorous things that I'm able to buy with all of my resale money. But even so, sometimes even just seeing like, wow, this person's coming back from the garage sales today with a huge trunk full of inventory. I wish that was me can sometimes distract you from the things that you can immediately change about your business in the way that you can be setting yourself up for success. What are some of the things that you used as resources? Because you said you watch like videos and stuff. So was like YouTube your main inspiration to get into this? Or like, what did you find helpful? Yeah, I would definitely say so. And would definitely say that was a primary inspiration for why I decided to get into that myself as well. Early on, The biggest thing that caused me to, I guess it wasn't really making a leap because it was pretty low risk, but just to commit to trying out the resale thing in general was just being able to watch from start to finish people going through this process of, I found this item at a garage sale, at a thrift store, book sale, wherever. It was priced for this much. I knew by looking at eBay or Amazon that I could sell it for this much. So I bought it. It took this long to sell. I made this much profit. And being able to see all the steps of the process and the people that are doing it and just think, huh, I don't think they're all that much smarter than me. You know, like I could yeah. probably go out and do this. It's, it's really empowering. And I was very grateful to some of the creators early on that really inspired me to try it out for myself. The infamous Gary V's trash talk series where he goes out. It's probably the most highly produced yard sale vlogs in history. But just seeing the kind of deals that he was able to find just from a solid day of yard sailing, I was like, man, this could, if I do this right, if I like really sharpen this craft and learn this game, I could really make a difference in our bottom line month to month. And it might not take disproportionate effort. So it had a huge role in inspiring me to actually get my butt off the couch and start. Did you work? in like a office job before or like any like a full-time job before you did all of this? Yeah, when- I did. I worked at a, a small collectible coin wholesaling company that was owned by one of my friends from school, actually. A couple of my friends 
graduated same time I did and started this business. They needed some extra help. So I signed on with them and was sort of building the resale business as a side hustle, mostly as I was working for them. And I could talk for an entire podcast about everything that didn't work out about that job. But long story short, I ended up getting fired from that job by my friends, not once, but twice. And the second time I was finally ready to, well, I wasn't really ready. I was almost ready to make the leap full time to just doing resale. I really would have rather had a couple more solid months that I could look back and say, okay, I made this much. I could have paid myself this much and still grown the business. So that's why I said I wasn't really ready, but I did it anyway. And you know, the rest is kind of history. I actually, after the second time of getting fired, I was like, okay, I want to do this. I went out and got a license to be a substitute teacher just in case like there was kind of a gap there in what I had made and what we needed at the end of the month that I would have something I could fall back on and pretty much always have some, you know, work that I could go do. But, you know, glory to God, we <laughs> never ended up meeting it. I think I subbed twice in the first month and then since then have not done it. So is that a blessing? <laughs> like, absolutely. Do you think like, was it nerve wracking actually to just get fired and all of a sudden be like, okay, I guess I'm doing this full time. Like, did you freak out a little bit? <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, that whole process was, I think it would be a tough situation for most people's hearts. So having to deal sort of simultaneously with like some hard identity questions that sort of came into the picture, like, what am I doing? You know, Erica's in school, and I'm supposed to be like, providing and paying the bills. And I like can't even hold a job down like a responsible adult, like, what's going on and then also having to figure out okay now i'm i'm taking this thing that up until now has been just like a steady side income and how do i actually push this into something that can fully support us i was lucky that i had been doing it for around a year part-time at that point so um, i definitely had some of the systems some of the rhythms in place but yeah those those first two months were definitely full of uncertainty yeah, I understand that. I lived in Germany for a few years and I worked with a company for a while. And then all like out of the blue, they let me go. And I was like, it was at first I was nervous, but I knew I had some connections to do like freelance writing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. It's like at first you're kind of like, I need to do something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you can empathize with me on that one. Yeah, it's no, you have like that split second of complete terror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it worked out in the end, so. <laughs> yeah, it sure did. I know you have your YouTube channel, Phoenix Resale. How did you get started with that? And how long ago did you get started with the YouTube channel? Yeah, I think it was late February of last year. So it's been around 10 months at this point. It was one of my goals for 2020 to start a YouTube channel because I knew that it was something that just based on how much I had been helped, by other channels early out. I kind of talked about that already. And also I just saw some opportunity there to provide something to the resale community that I thought was like, I, I wasn't necessarily finding. And I love, I have a lot of love for a lot of like the larger channels that have really established the knit. But I also felt like resale content is kind of like in this box. And I would love to have the opportunity if I was able to grow, you know, something of a following to kind of push the boundaries of what a resale channel really can be. So that's definitely something that I'm on the front end of that process. But 
I'm excited where the channel has come so far and I'm proud of, I think a lot of resale YouTubers tend to play it fairly safe. Like you see a lot of like yard sale vlogs and then like corresponding what's sold videos. And I think a lot of my videos have been somewhat unique in terms of resale content. I'll do like, you know, trying to trade stuff on Facebook marketplace or I had a video that did pretty well about experience of pre-ordering a PlayStation 5. And, you know, those kinds of videos have been a lot of fun to make and to just kind of see people's reactions to. So uh, that was part of my motivation for it going in as well as I wanted to be able to create content for resellers that was a little bit more out of the box. I mean, now I have an important question. Did you get the PlayStation 5? <laughs> I did. Yeah, it was... <laughs> It was a crazy experience, but yeah, after six hours or so of waiting in line for the store to open, I did end up getting, I didn't think I'd be able to, but somehow it happened. Well, and then, in a, and then in a later video, I gave it away and that video did really well too. Yeah, I, I assume so. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find one and they're completely sold out here for, I don't know how long. I have yeah. no idea when they'll be back in stock. So I'm just always like refreshing and like, give me notifications, please. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you've probably figured out all the tips. Do you see like any trends at the moment? Because I know like with certain things, it's like the nostalgia factor kicking in at the moment. So like, what are some trends you're seeing in like your sales of video games? Yeah, that's a great question. One thing is that the prices for certain games through this whole year have fluctuated a lot more than normal. So I think that's partly due to supply being completely out of whack so for a perfect example is in late spring the prices of switch consoles went through the roof because production was halted at a lot of their factories and people just couldn't get their hands on them the normal way that's also happened not just because of production shortages this year but also the rise of streaming sometimes creates disproportionate demand for a game and will really jack up the price so we saw that happen with like Minecraft earlier this year. And it's happened with a couple of football games as well. So that's been something that's really interesting to watch and I think is always beneficial for resellers to keep their eye on is like how are pop culture trends going to be affecting the demand for goods, particularly like in your niche. That's always a good thing to sort of have your finger on the pulse of. And then another thing would be as our generation or as my generation ages up, you see the prices for different generations of games go up as well. So I think when I just started reselling like a few years ago, the prices of GameCube games were much lower. But as people who are really nostalgic for that system age up and have more disposable income, the prices for those games are really starting to climb. Older systems like Atari, you can get Atari games for super cheap right now, except for like the really rare ones. And even original Nintendo games are seeing declines in prices as well because a lot of the collectors of those systems pretty much have their collections full. There aren't as many people who are coming into the video game market who are super jazzed up about collecting original Nintendo games. But there are a lot on the side of like GameCube or like PlayStation 2. So hopefully that answers your question. Those are a couple of trends that I've been seeing. I mean, I love Nintendo. I think I've had every single Nintendo console. And now with the Switch, I end up using like the virtual consoles to play some of my favorite older games. So oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure if I 
really wanted to, I'd probably collect like the old games. But for me, I don't see a need for it at the moment. It's just like it's right in my hands. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it's kind of like a collector and like nostalgia thing. The people who like to have like the original version and the original controller and all that. But yeah, it, it is very nice that almost all of those games are available digitally as well. What are I don't know if this is like a secret or if you can share like some tips and tricks of like what's like the best places to find video games to resell. Yeah, that's a great question. So I mentioned earlier that I do a lot of sourcing at pawn shops. And I like to talk about that because I think a lot of people are a little bit spooked by pawn shops. It's almost like walking onto like a used car lot, you know, you know, there are going to be people there who are trying to sell you stuff. Most of the stuff is going to be used. So there's a little bit of like a condition hesitation. There's, you know, negotiating involved. I'm a big fan personally of pawn shops for a few reasons. One, is a lot of them, at least in my area, and I've, I've been to pawn shops in a lot of different areas. I look specifically for the ones that don't price all of their games individually, like they have really general pricing, because oftentimes they'll be getting their games for free, like just bundled with systems. And especially if you're the kind of person that can offer to buy things in bulk, like, hey, if I bought five or 10 of these games, what kind of a discount can you work for me? And you're comfortable with that negotiation side, there's a lot of opportunity at pawn shops because a lot of people just aren't really willing to do that. There also is a lot of opportunity at pawn shops because in general, buy cost for their goods tends to be a little bit higher per item. So there are all kinds of resellers out there who are willing to go to a thrift store and pay a dollar for a book that they can flip for 10, right? There are less people who are willing to pay $10 for a game that they can flip for like 25. So even though the dollar amount per item is better. A lot of folks don't want to front all that much money. So if you're in a position where you can, you'll have to deal with less competition, which is a big factor, especially if you are operating in a realm like video games that everybody loves to resell. You want to set yourself up to have every advantage that you possibly can. Also, pawn shops are a great place to expand your knowledge if you want to get into reselling more video games because you can just go to a shelf you know, sometimes they'll have to unlock it for you and you can just like scan through each game and know, okay, they're going to charge $10 for every game. If I can find one that I can get like 24 after fees, then like that'll be a good deal for me. And so it's a great opportunity for self-education. Some of the other places that I do like to source for video games are one is online. So I'll wait for, for example, GameStop.com to have a really good sale that's maybe like buy two, get two free or like buy five and get your whole cart 50% off. And then I'll buy a good amount of inventory all at once through those sales and then sell it on Amazon for whatever the regular price would be. Place is actually somewhat unintuitive and that's video game stores. So I think most people would assume that there's going to be very little, if any, opportunity at video game stores because they're going to be very knowledgeable about those products um, and are likely going to price them very close to what the market actually is. And in general, that's very true. But if you, one, are very familiar with what certain games or accessories or consoles go for on your platform, sometimes you can spot inconsistencies. And also, if you're familiar with what I was saying earlier, which is like market trends that are maybe disproportionately valuing certain items, there can also be a lot of opportunity there. Like right when the lockdown started to happen, a lot of sports games, and I found wrestling games in particular, were just like soaring in price. I don't know what it was about 
sitting at home. Maybe people wanted to vicariously get exercise through wrestling games. I'm not sure. <laughs> but I would like go to my local video game stores, pick out like 10 copies of WWE 2017 for six bucks, which normally nobody really wants. So they're super cheap and then sell them for like 15 or so after fees. Um, so there was definitely some arbitrage that was able to go on there as well. That does take a little bit more knowledge of the market, though. That's not necessarily where I'd recommend people starting out. I mean, the wrestling game thing, I think it's more just everyone was locked in and probably angry and frustrated. And that, that was like, could be a good way of getting out some aggression. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to body slam this virtual character. <laughs> right. Yeah. Rather than my spouse. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the better choice, I would say. Yeah, I think that's probably more astute. As a video game nerd, speaking of myself, <laughs> are Pokemon games still like a thing that everyone searches for or is it just dying out now? They are. No, it's Pokemon is alive and well. It's an incredibly profitable franchise. That's one of the like categories that I always encourage beginners to look out for. I think most people kind of know. But yeah, Pokemon games tend to hold their value very well. And some of them have actually appreciated quite a bit. So one example is Heart Gold and Soul Silver version originally retailed for maybe like 40 bucks. And now even just the cartridge will sell for over 100 normally. So definitely some really solid value in a lot of Pokemon titles. Oh, I used to have the gold one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I played Pokemon for hours as a kid. So <laughs> yeah, well, hey, if you end up finding them in some dusty old box, they may be worth flipping. Well, that's the thing. Like I've mentioned this before in a previous episode, I mm -hmm. had a bunch of stuff like Pokemon cards. Like I had the original 150 Pokemon cards. I had like a whole set of Goosebumps books and like the Game Boy Advance. So it was like clear purple mm -hmm. and all these game cartridges. And then my parents had a massive flood in their house and everything, everything got destroyed. <laughs> oh no, that's heartbreaking. So like I've mentioned it, like I don't look to see how much that stuff is worth because it's probably, probably just going <laughs> yeah, to make me cry. So yeah, <laughs> your biggest failure so far and like, what did you learn from it? I don't know if this counts, but this was actually very recent. Just a couple weeks ago, we got back from Christmas break and our house had been broken into. So I actually ended up losing a good amount of inventory that I had gotten. You know, I was sort of storing up that had gotten here over the break and also my computer which i use for like reselling stuff and youtube videos and all that was taken as well so that it was a failure on our part in that we probably didn't secure the building as well as we should have we've since rectified that but it definitely this last couple of weeks has been a, a big process and a learning curve of okay how do you deal with insurance claims and like what all is like taken and how do we get it replaced and you know, what do we need to do to protect ourselves going forward? So that was definitely a jarring experience and one that I would not recommend. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sorry that happened. That's terrible. Yeah, it wasn't fun. I think ultimately we'll be better for it. Early on in my resale career, I had found this deal on Facebook Marketplace, somebody who was getting rid of a whole bunch of shoes, looked like solid, profitable brands. So uh, I went over to check them out. We agreed on a price. And I think ahead of time, I had asked, oh, by the way, are these like from a smoke-free home? They said yes. I was like, cool. So I went, picked them up. It was clear as I was sort of starting to bring them back to my car, as I had kind of gotten closer to them, 
that it was not smoke free. Like they had just straight up lied. And I could have gone back and said, Hey, I don't think this is from a smoke free home or like these just, you know, I'm not really interested in these. At that point, I was kind of scared of the conflict and didn't really want to. I think the deal was maybe like 90 or 100 bucks or so. I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll let them air out, be able to sell them anyway. I don't think I ended up selling almost any of those shoes because I had to say that this is from a smoking household. Maybe I sold a couple and got like 20 bucks of my money back. But lesson was definitely learned there. Like fully inspect your goods if you're buying a lot of stuff before you actually hand the money over. That's actually a great tip on anything that you're trying to find or buy. Definitely inspect it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So with the process that you have, like, do you, because you also sell on eBay and stuff. Yes, I sure do. I would say I'm about probably 90% or so, maybe like 85% on Amazon and then maybe 10% on eBay and 5% local. I don't do a whole lot of local stuff. Like I mentioned earlier, it's mostly like trades. How do you think Acceler List has helped you in listing things online? Yeah. So before I got Acceler List, I was just listing things directly through Amazon. And for some, I to this day have not been able to figure out why their listing process isn't more intuitive. I mean, they're one of the largest companies in the world. You would think that they would be able to develop like a super easy user interface and make the listing process really smooth, but they just haven't. So when I downloaded Acceler List for the first time, I was a little bit hesitant at first because I didn't know if it was really worth adding another monthly subscription. Once I tested it out and realized how much easier the process was and that you could like load in pre-written condition notes and, um, you know, just scan barcodes in easily and go through the process so much quicker. I was like, wow, this is totally worth it. And since then, haven't looked back because it just, it saved me so much time in the listing process. And especially when you are, like a one person business, your time is by far your most valuable resource. So I'm very willing to invest in pretty much anything that I know will save me time. Yeah, I think that's the main thing that Accelerlist helps with is saving time. You don't have to spend hours and hours now listing individual things. You can do it rather quickly through the service. So yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And that's part of what I think makes me believe so much in the service is that it provides such an obvious value to its clients, which is time savings. And that's, it's hard to put a dollar value on that, but it's definitely more than whatever the subscription costs. Yeah. I mean, with the time you save listing, you can be sourcing and then you'll have more inventory. So (laughs) absolutely. And your business grows exponentially. What, are some of your hopes for like the future, near future? Yeah. So on the longer term horizon, eventually we'd love to move into a location that has maybe like a large detached garage or has enough land that we could build a warehouse. So I would love to have, I would say the biggest hindrance on the business at the moment is just space. Like I've constantly got packages piled up where they shouldn't be. And we've got a couple of sheds that somewhat full. I need to do some reorganization soon, but it'd be really nice to have like a designated area for shipping and for supplies and for like filming YouTube videos and for storing inventory kind of all in a centrally located place. That's definitely one thing that I've been dreaming about for the future. More immediately this year, I definitely like to expand the channel. I'm going to 
continue trying to make videos that I think will reach somewhat broader audience and bring more people to the channel. I think that YouTube is a business model that's more easily scalable for a single person. And until we do have some sort of other external space that is separate from our home, I don't really see much of a possibility of hiring someone on to help with the resale business side. So this coming year, that's a good part of, I would say, where my focus is going to be. Last year, the only goal that I didn't achieve was going to a reseller conference because there really weren't any, but I'm still optimistic that in 2021, that opportunity will be there and I'll be able to connect with some other folks in the field, just, uh, you know, shake some hands, exchange some numbers. And this business can get kind of lonely sometimes. And I think having those kinds of connections is just really healthy. Other than having more space, because I've seen some of your videos and yeah, I could tell that you have like stacks and stacks of inventory surrounding you. So I understand. Yeah, um, it's overwhelming. <laughs> so do you have any other dreams? Like I really like what I do. So I don't necessarily like dream of one day being able to stop. Um, so I think it definitely would be nice in terms of scale to maybe have a couple of part-time employees that help me out with like shipping or listing. Like maybe I, one who is tasked with going out and finding all the inventory and then I can basically feed it into my system and then like not really think about it anymore. You know, I know that it'll go off to Amazon and be fulfilled or it'll be listed on eBay and then stored the right way and all that. I could see that being in my future. But again, that's probably in the four to 10 year term rather than the immediate future. Do you have any books that you read? Yeah. Well, I read the Bible every morning. I love Jesus. So that's definitely a part of my rhythm. Been really eating up Proverbs recently, which is like, I just love easily digestible axioms that you can kind of get in your mind and, you know, live by. So that's why I love that. Also on the business side, I would say I'm kind of a personal finance nerd. Some of the books that I recommend most readily to people, books about simple financial principles. So either like a Dave Ramsey or Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or like The Richest Man in Babylon, books that help people understand that personal finance doesn't have to be this like big intimidating beast. And that in reality, what in the long term separates people who succeed financially from the ones who spend a lot of their lives living paycheck to paycheck is not necessarily how much you earn. It's more about how much you don't spend. There are professional athletes who go broke, go bankrupt all the time, despite multi-million dollar a year incomes. And at the same time, there are barbers who over time end up building wealth and retiring well because like your financial mindset determines your financial outcome so much more than, you know, the actual dollar amount income that you're bringing in. Because if you're squandering all of that, it's not actually going to help you. So that's kind of like, Maybe that's something that I'll end up talking more about on the channel too. It's a little bit of a side passion of mine that I really like to help people out with. You always have to like not be careful, but I think talking money and finances is still kind of like a sensitive topic for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But I think what you said is actually true. It's important to know what you're doing with your finances and take care of that so you don't lose it all. <laughs> yeah, very true. And I think in a way that's being able to talk about that kind of stuff is kind of a strength of mine. I'm a, kind of an open book when it comes to a lot of subjects that 
some people find more uncomfortable. Sometimes that ends up working to my disadvantage because, you know, I'll bring something up and maybe it makes someone else uncomfortable. But I think a lot of times it can be an advantage because I'm willing to talk candidly about subjects that oftentimes people might find it hard to get a response from other people on in a way that hopefully is helpful sometimes. So maybe that will be a topic that I'll try to discuss a little bit more, but it's definitely one that I'm passionate about. So since you sell video games, and I know you started this conversation and you said you're not that much of a gamer, Mm -hmm. but you still must have like at least a top five favorite games. (laughs) Top five. I'll say my favorite game of all time is probably Zelda Breath of the Wild. Yes. uh, On the (laughs) Switch. Have you played that one? Yes. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. And the sad thing is I've actually never played another Zelda game. I didn't grow up playing Zelda at all, but I, that was one of the first games that I played on the Switch and it just blew my mind. I was like, wow, I've never played anything like this. Some other favorites that may be less obvious. There's a PlayStation 2 game called Shadow of the Colossus. It's another like kind of open world adventure game where it's just like a boss battling game, fairly sequential, but it I don't know what it was about it. I watched the ending of that game and it just like wrecked me for like two days. I could not stop thinking about it. What else? The game that I've probably put more hours in than any other game would be Super Smash Bros. Melee on the okay. GameCube. <laughs> Boy, in high school, I grinded out that game <laughs> with my friends for like hours and hours. So put a lot of time into that one. And I also have some Pokemon favorites as well. I'd say probably Crystal Version. That was the first one that I ever played and uh, would definitely be on my list as well. Is there any like final advice for anyone that's really trying to get into like the video game resell? I might have to steal the advice of Chris Hogan, who uses it in the context of saving for retirement. But I would say to resellers of all kinds, actually, that Uncommon goals require uncommon effort. So I think one of the biggest unifying factors of people who end up being successful resellers is just good old-fashioned work ethic. There really is no substitute for hard work when it comes to gaining proficiency at something. Like, sure, there's definitely something to be said for working smarter, not harder, and like the analysis side and like How am I doing what I'm doing? What's the best way to go about it? It's just hard to achieve a high level of success. And I think what a lot of people look for when they go to resale is like the independent side of it. Like, wow, this provides me a level of lifestyle freedom that I can have with few other things. And that level of freedom is something that not a lot of people get to have. So if that is something that you aspire to, if that's a goal of yours, I would just say it's going to require uncommon effort. It's not going to be like a drag if it's something that you love to do. That's why I'm doing it. But I would just encourage people to consider whether they're willing to have their effort match their aspiration. Like how bad do you want it? Easy to see the results of it. Like it's easy for little kids to say, man, I really want to be a basketball player because they see the game winning shot and think that looks really fun, but they don't see the two a day, 5am workouts every day of the week for years. Right. And I think there can be a similar effect that happens in the resale world. Like I said, you're hopping on Instagram, you're seeing the stack of packages, you're seeing the eBay sales snapshots and thinking like, I could definitely do that. I definitely want to take a mini vacation to Cabo and, you know, on a Wednesday because I can do whatever I want. Like that seems really nice. 
But what you're not going to see is the disproportionate effort that all of those people who have achieved those things are going to need to put in. That's not a message that I preach a ton because I do like to stay on the optimistic side. I think on the flip side of that, there's more opportunity in resale than people even realize. Like you can pick almost any niche and like make a full-time income by getting really good at sourcing and reselling that thing. So like I'm incredibly bullish on getting into resale. I think there's so much untapped opportunity. It's not passive income. You know, it's not easy money. It's not just the game winning shot. You also have to be willing to get up at 4 a.m. and pump out those reps. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Seller's Corner. If you would like to be a guest on the show, please send an email to podcast at accelerlist.com. Accelerlist also offers a generous 21-day free trial when you enter coupon code PODCAST on the registration page. Now is the time to start with Amazon and break into freedom with your own business.